Good to see all those who made it out this morning. And uh, all right, we're going to get into some wonderful meat and potatoes today. Uh, more ways than one. Let me put it that way. Uh, we're going to be enjoying some fellowship. So all of those that are listening in today, we do ask that uh, if you have opportunity uh, to come down and enjoy some chicken. Uh, no, we're not having uh, what we would call the Lord's chicken, which is uh, church, which is uh, Chick Fil A. But we are going to enjoy some good chicken today, uh, and all the fixings. So anyone that, in the sound of our voice, I'm sure you're most welcome to come and enjoy it as well. We've uh, added some new notes that are in the back, and again, this is going to be getting into chapter nine of the book of Daniel. But before we uh, get there, we want to go ahead and take a look at a few things this morning from Daniel chapter eight. So let's go back over there. Daniel chapter 8, and it's my goal to finish up everything that I would like for us to consider from Daniel 8 and eschatology and move straight into Daniel chapter 9. Now understand this, is that with Daniel chapter 8, as we begin to close out uh, this particular chapter, we begin to see a little bit more of the demand that is there. And notice what it says, beginning of verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not of, by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted, and was sick certain days afterwards. I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. Let us pray. Again, Father, I want to thank you for your blessings, and help us, dear Father, to understand the things that you give us. Help us, dear Father, to know the purpose and the plans that you provide. And may we rejoice in you in all that you do give us, that we might study it, that we might learn it, that we might uh, follow after everything that we see from the Scripture. Now, Lord, I pray that you will give us that which is needed. Help me in the recall of study. Guide and bless and prosper in all things, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, what is interesting to me, especially as you begin to study the book of Daniel, is how that there are certain points, you know, where Daniel kind of swings through different areas. We are told clearly of the mean Persians. Now, understand this. This was at the time of Belshazzar. This is a thing that I, I try to point out to everyone all the time. So, in that third year of Belshazzar, and you can see that Belshazzar was from 553 all the way over to 539. And so when we, when we take a look at Belshazzar, 
Uh, Greg, there's somebody that just came in on the front there. Let's see. I don't know who that was. But anyway, when we begin to take a look at Belshazzar, we begin to see a little bit more of his plan and his purpose and everything else that goes into it. And so, as we study the Word of God, we want to make sure that we have a good understanding that this was in the third year, so roughly around 550. Now, there were still many years left for Belshazzar's reign, but one of the things that we can begin to see is that as Belshazzar would ride on the coattails of his father Nebuchadnezzar for a while, then after Nebuchadnezzar had passed on, then we begin to see that Belshazzar would uh, give over to the Mede-Persians. We saw that as well uh, when we read Daniel chapter 5 and we begin to see some of the things that he did. There was a complete atrocity to God. Now, after Daniel, we begin to see the reign of what we call the Medo-Persian Empire or the Mede-Persians. Let me get over here and I'll show this to you. So when we take a look at Mede-Persians, we can see all of this come into place. Now, understand this, is that when the Mede-Persians came in, Daniel was probably a middle-aged man. So you have Cyrus, you have Darius uh, the first, which is, uh, a lot of people believe this is about the time that Daniel uh, came into existence, and uh, this is when Daniel would have passed away. So it was during that time that the Mede-Persians arose in power, and so as he rose in power, you had two mighty kings, you had Cyrus and you had Darius, and the two of them uh, were combined together and you know, to form us a little bit more of a, an opportunity. But the Mede-Persian Empire, though it, it was great in its existence, there was another king that would rise up, and that king that would rise up was going to be the king that we know as the Grecian king. This is speaking of Alexander the Great. I notice that it was stated that of Alexander the Great that he was the first king. All right, that he was the first king. Now, that being broken, wherefore stood up, let's go back to verse 21. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. That's the king of Greece. Now, this is the, the king, when you take a look at it, understand there was Philip I, Philip II. You know, Philip II was actually Alexander uh, the Great's father. And there was a humiliating defeat. But understand this, is that because of what Philip II had taught his elite soldiers, they became a very strong elite presence with Alexander the Great. So when Alexander the Great pushed in, he destroyed not only the Neo-Babylon Empire, which was still in existence, he also destroyed the, the Mean-Persian Empire, and he was literally getting ready to press into India. Why God stopped him in India, I don't know. Uh, the Indian army was right there in front of him, and he didn't go into India. We know that for a fact. But the thing is, he, he had defeated all the known armies that were the, the great power that we see in the Scripture. And it is said of Alexander that he sat down and wept because there was no other places for him to conquer. The reality is, is that he was a young man when he died at the age of 32, or roughly thereabout. So 32 years of age, imagine being a great king and having all of these things in, in power and in place and in ability, and then really having to collapse it all the way down. But then what is shown to Daniel is that, and I want you to get these words, 
Now that king broke the whereas four stood up for it. In other words, there were going to be four kingdoms that were going to come out of Daniel or what Daniel saw out of Alexander the Great's uh, presence and his power. But look what it says in verse 23 of Daniel chapter 8. And in the latter time of their kingdom. Now, when you take a look at this, there's two words that come into place. Number one, latter time can either mean the last days or the end of their particular reign. May I point this out to you? The Roman Empire has never really been defeated. It changed form. And in fact, if you go back in and you look at the Roman Empire, they went from the Caesar rule over to religious rule. And I, I even say this to my students all the time. Whenever you go back in and you look at wars and the rumors of wars and everything, they're always religious in nature. Did you know that during the 1100s, or what we would now refer to as the Dark Ages, uh, leading up even during the time of Charlemagne, there was the, uh, the movement of uh, the Islamic State as they began to want to have more power. And they tried to defeat the, uh, the Romans. They also tried to defeat um, what we would call the uh, European States. Matter of fact, they did approach and they entered into a land called Spain or España. And the thing that is interesting is when they entered into Spain, they settled there. And the only thing that stopped them from going on up into Europe was a man by the name of Charlemagne. But do you know that there was a, uh, a brief time to where that all of those Islam or all those Islamic leaders that had entered into Spain, they began to name cities and places after their ruler, which was Muhammad. How many of you have ever heard of Fatima? Fatima, is, matter of fact, there's a Fatima statue down near Franklin Furnace. That is an Islamic statue. So whenever you see Fatima, understand, the Roman Catholics have adopted that name, they've adopted that person, but the truth of the matter is, that is very much Muhammad's daughter. Now, I bring this all to you as an attention, is because there was a lot of things that had to happen between the beginning to the end. And even though the Romans no longer have Caesars, there is this undermined religion called the Roman Catholics that literally control every function. I, I, would, I would wish I could get more people to read history. I, I have a book that we, we got from the Library of Congress. You cannot find this book anymore. But it speaks of the atrocities. And I copied this book. You know, if it's on recording, it's on recording. I copied this book. And it speaks about the disaster of the USS Maine. How many of you know about the USS Maine? The USS Maine is what led us into what we call the Spanish-American Wars. And literally, at that time, during Cuba, the Cuban island that we now know as the uh, Communist Cuba, it was an area to where the Roman Catholic priests had you know, great control. And when the USS Maine blew up, there were many uh, short, there were many sailors that washed up on shore, and the Roman Catholic priests were going around laughing and mocking them and stripping their bodies of their clothing. That, that's the absolute truth. I've got the book upstairs. During the Vietnam War, the same thing held true. There was a design to stand behind communism to get them to literally go after.
the uh, weaker, uh, if you will, nations to see if they could get them destroyed. But have you ever wondered, and here's where we see it in more modern history, have you ever wondered why Hitler would turn his attention after having peace with uh, Russia, why he would go into Russia and attack it? The answer is the Roman Catholics. I have, again, these are materials I have upstairs. And, and the Roman Catholics demanded that, that Hitler, who was a devout Roman Catholic, that he would press the war into Russia so that they could get the wealth and everything that Russians had, had literally brought into place. Every war is religious war. And by the way, may I point this out to you? Even America stands as a thorn against Roman Catholicism. America does. Do you realize that if you go all the way back, and I tell this to when I, when I was teaching college, I would say, how many of you all knew the biggest challenge of, of John F. Kennedy becoming the President of the United States? It wasn't his politics. It was his position as a Roman Catholic. And I remember that when John F. Kennedy, I was just a kid, but when he was running for President of the United States, one of the things that everybody was talking about was Catholicism. What's going to be his relationship? Do you realize that John F. Kennedy distanced himself from the Pope? And by the way, I don't remember who the Pope was that was sitting on the throne, but he still hated America, and he expected John Kennedy to roll over. The Cuban Missile Crisis was just one example of where Kennedy refused to roll over, and there's many that believe that it was the, it was the Roman Catholics that killed John F. Kennedy. Many believe that. Now, why do I bring this up? Because what we are seeing is the transposing of power or the transition of power. Look what it says again. I want you to see this. In verse 22 of Daniel chapter 8, it says, Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it. This is the four kingdoms that would be broken off from all of the conquests that Alexander the Great had made. The one kingdom that was going to be able to bring everybody back together was what we call the Seleucian Kingdom, which was far... It, it literally happened during, many people believe, during the uh, silent period of time, or the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Look what else it says. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors had come to full, a king of fierce countenance. Now, is this speaking of, is this speaking of Caesar? I don't think so. The Romans were very, they were very uh, demanding. The Romans were very powerful. They were very wicked. They, at, the, at the peak of their power, they only had about 600,000 men. That's a lot. But no one could defeat the Romans. Now, the reality is, is that there was still much more to occur. I believe this dark countenance that we're speaking of is not speaking of, of Caesar, though he was dark. It's not speaking of Octavius. It's not speaking of Claudius. It's not speaking of any of the others that are there. I believe this is speaking of the Antichrist the one that we see in the, book of Rev in the book of Revelation, that's going to rise up having that swift and, and standing power. For this reason, he understands dark sentences. There is a product we just don't know. And I don't even want to know. I mean, there's many people that they turn around and they say, well, don't you want to know the power of Satan? No. 
Well, I believe that we see demonic activity around us all the time, and we're too ignorant to even accept it, that it is with us. Maybe mental health, maybe there's other things. We just don't know what's causing all the troubles in our world today. But the reality is, is because of the wickedness that is there, we ignore it. Remember this is that even during the time that Jesus walked upon the earth, there was a common demon presence upon the earth. Common de demon presence. And he was able to cast out demons, and even his apostles could cast out certain demons. But two of them that come into mind was going to the Gadarenes, which is, if you look at the first three letters, Gad. It's the old Gad uh, tribe, if you will. And there he was met with a man that came out of the tombs, being filled with a legion of demons. And he cried out against Jesus Christ, and he realized, oh, Later on, the same thing is, is that when this man was uh, finally clear of the demons, he was sitting in his right mind at the feet of Jesus because what happened was Jesus not only cast out the demons, he took possession of the individual. I've had this question asked me many times. Can a believer be possessed with, with a demon? And the answer is absolutely not. And here's the reason why. Christ lives within me. The second one that I, I really am thinking about, and of course I, I have so many others that I could bring into a situation, was that, remember this, is that later on, the Apostle Paul and the sons of Sceva were there. And so the sons of Sceva were kind of witnessing that Paul could cast out demons. And he was always doing so in the name of Jesus. Well, here comes the sons of Sceva. They walk into a house that is filled with the, the demon activity of one individual. And they are going to just do everything that Paul does. But what did the demons say? Paul, I know. Christ, I definitely know. But who are you? This idea that we have exorcisms and things like that, that means absolutely nothing. And quite frankly... It should scare us to death to go into a place that is, has the common knowledge of a demon. I've known a lot of preachers that they have said, oh, I think one was uh, Berlin Heisel many years ago, said that he had faced demon activity all the way down uh, in Irving, Kentucky. And in that demon activity that he faced, he said, I got to a place where he, you know, I could stand up against any demon basically crying out, give me your best shot. Do you realize failure in a human being is never with the best shot, but the weakest shot? Satan knows our weakness, and he will constantly drive that weakness towards us. So when we take a look at this area where it says, and speaking in dark sentences, I really believe that Daniel understood that this was for the end time. Look at this. And through policy, look at verse 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper. Now what does that mean? Through his great power, he is going to find a solution to allow... I think that we're right on the verge of having the temple built. Because I asked this one time, uh, 
of uh, Brother David Lee, you know, who was, uh, you know, he understood Jewish history. He was a Christian man, Baptist at that. Now David's gone home to be with the Lord. But he talked about going into Jerusalem all the time. I said, David, aren't you afraid of all the attacks that occur? He said, let me just tell you something. He said, it's the safest place on the planet. He said, not only are there soldiers everywhere that you look, but quite frankly, the Muslims and the Jews realize this is the greatest source of income that they will ever have. So somehow, this man is going to convince them. And right sitting on that is the Dome of the Rock, that, that great messianic uh, Islamic uh, paradise, if you will, that other estate that is there. But nearby, it, either that's going to be tore down or there's going to be enough space there for them to enjoy the building of the tabernacle. Now, I've had a lot of people say, well, they'll never rebuild the tabernacle. Let me show you something that's really interesting. And this just came to mind. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And I remember many years ago that when I first came to this particular passage, that I didn't understand it. But the more that I live in history, the more that I'm giving a little bit more understanding. Go to verse 1, if you will, of Revelation chapter 11. I hope you kept your place in Daniel 8. And there was given me a reed like a, likened to a rod. A rod, by the way, is a measuring stick. I don't know if you know this, but many years ago, uh, one of the things they would teach us was the length of a rod, you know, and how many rods are in an acre. Well, never mind. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and them that worship therein. But the court, which is without the temple, leave out. Now, wait a minute. Do you realize that the court was just as important? This is Revelation chapter 11, verse 2 now. Do you realize that the court is just as important when it came to the Jewish area because when the Jews had built that tremendous tabernacle and they had also built the temple, this was the area to where only the worthy creatures could come in. There was a real separation that was there. But notice in this case it says leave it out. Why? And measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. Could it be that in compromise, now understand this is that we're speaking of compromise, in order to have the temple built, they're going to say, but you can't have all of the surface area. And if you ever go up on top of that temple, I imagine it would be amazing. I've seen pictures of it, and of course the Dome of the Rock sits on it right now. But can you imagine if the temple was sitting right next to it, but you couldn't use the court? That would allow those two temples to coexist together. And the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. In other words, half of the seven years. Let's go back to Daniel 8. Notice again in verse 26 that in verse 26 of Daniel chapter 8, it says that the vision, now we're not even allowed to see what this vision is about. But did you notice it says that the vision of the evening and the morning was told is true. Look what else it says. Wherefore, there were certain things that Daniel did not see, that Daniel did not know, and Daniel was not permitted to write. Let me show you another one. Let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And in Daniel chapter 12, go down to verse 4. And you're also going to see that Daniel was shown something else. Well, let's go to verse 1. 
And at the time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time thy people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they shall be wise, and they that shall be, and excuse me, and they that be wise shall not shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Look what it says in verse four. But thou shalt not be permitted to write any more. Did he see more? I believe he did. I believe he really did. But he was not permitted to put it down on paper. Why? Because God said, shut it up. Look what else it says. Even to the time of the end. In other words, Daniel was shown the things that were going to be towards the end, but he was not permitted to write those things down. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Do we not now see knowledge increase beyond compare? I, I have my little cell phone, and I, of course, I, when I preach, I don't have it on me. I never carry a cell phone if I can help it. And the reason is because I'm so afraid that things are going to go off right in the middle of my message. But the reality is, is that there is ready information that is there. How many of you all remember a phone book? Oh, yeah. I, I actually had a, a, an original phone book from Roseville, California. And it was back dated 1911 or somewhere in that neighborhood. And literally, it was Roseville Exchange. How many of you all remember the Catalystburg Exchange? Mom used to be an operator at the Catalystburg Exchange. And so it would be Catalystburg, blah, 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 blah. How many of you all remember the most famous song that Glenn Miller ever had? Pennsylvania 65000. How many of you remember that? PA6. Five zero zero zero, and you know, I know. Lord, forgive me for mentioning that song. We're all now thinking of that song. But the reality is, is that showed how different things are. Today, we pick up our. We, we had the old rotary phones. I remember when we lived out on Charlie Creek that we had a party line. How many of you remember the party line? And I can never use the phone because somebody up on the hill was on our party line. And they were on the phone from morning to night. And if you said, I, I need to use the phone, I'm on the phone right now. You know, God bless you. And you, know, you wanted to slam the receiver down real quick. And you know, even if, if there was an emergency, they were supposed to relieve it. But the thing is, we have seen knowledge increase quickly. We no longer have phone books. Why don't we have them? Because I can find the information faster by just typing something in on the cell phone. I can find history on the cell phone. I can find anything that I want just by Googling it or Yahooing it, dogpiling it, whatever you want to call it. I can find all kinds of information, and that information is readily available. I remember when my students were in school, I would tell them, I said, put up your cell phones. I'm going to teach you math without using your calculators. I'm going to show you how to use math based upon, and we were teaching binary, hexadecimal, octal, all of those particular things that were in math. And I told him, I said, because here's the reason I want you to know that. The day's going to come where you're not going to have a chance to run back and grab a calculator. 
you're going to stand right there in front of the computer and you're going to be able to figure it out in your mind. And my students had some of the highest scores because they were finally using some gray matter they hadn't been using for years. Reality is this. Knowledge is increasing exponentially. Now, that leads us into chapter 9. And I want you to get this with chapter 9. Go ahead, if you will, brother, and I want you to see this in the very next slide that we're going to see. This is chapter 9 slide. That is what I've given you on the back of the bulletin, uh, on the on back of the uh, prayer sheet that is there. And I want you to get this. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medians, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of God came to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Do you realize that Daniel had to his handiwork or to his charge he had the book of Jeremiah. He probably had all the other Torahs and everything else. He had access to every library. But the one thing that Daniel mentions here is the desolation of Jerusalem. Let's take a hold of place here. Let's go to the book of Jeremiah and let's go to chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. This is going to come into place as we study it more and more. Jeremiah chapter 30. And beginning at verse 1, notice it says, And the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord God of Israel, saying, write, write thee all the words that I have spoken unto thee in a book. There it is, and that's why Daniel has the opportunity to read it. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land. There's the promise. There's the promise. And I give their fathers, and they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. Thus saith the Lord, We have heard a voice trembling of fear and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child. Wherefore do I see every man with his hand on his loins, as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even a time of Jacob's trouble. That's the verse we're talking about right now. But you shall be saved out of it. So when you read in Daniel chapter 9 of Jacob's trouble, that is referring back to Jeremiah, what we now know as Jeremiah 37. And why that plays in, a, in particular importance is we're going to see all of these things as we move on together. Now, there, there's something that's interesting. And I'm going to read the rest or down to verse 27 because I want you to see what we're going to be looking at. Notice again, let's read verse 2. And the first year of the reign that I, Daniel, understood by books and numbers of the years, wherefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Why 70 years? Literally so that the land would have its rest as the Lord told the Jews to do so. 
And because they had not given it the land its rest, yet, you know, every uh, seven years there was supposed to be a rest plus the years of Jubilee, all of these things had to come into place. And I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Once again, as we begin to read this, I want you to look at the countenance of Daniel. Here was a man who had already been sick in Daniel chapter 8, and now, as he writes again, to understand the things of God, he is putting on sackcloth, that rough, verbal sackcloth. And he begins to pray for Jerusalem. And I prayed unto the Lord my God, and made my confession, and said, O Lord, God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him, and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned, and have committed iniquity, and have done wickedly, and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy, in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but the, unto us confusion of faces, as this day in the men of Judah, and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel, that are near, that they are far off through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them because of their trespasses, that they have trespassed against thee. O Lord... O, o Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have, uh, we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servant the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing, that they might not obey thy voice. Wherefore the curse is poured upon us, and the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Verse 12. He hath confirmed his words which he spake against us, and against our judges that judged us, by bringing, uh, bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done unto Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all the evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil, and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works, which he doeth, for we obey not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast gotten thee renowned as, uh, as at this day we have sinned and have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city Jerusalem, thy holy mountain, because of our, for our sins and the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, our, O our God, hear our prayer of thy servant. 
hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplication and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplication before thee for our righteousness but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, hear. And thy people are called by thy name. Now that is a tremendous prayer. Do you realize that even Daniel understood by reading what he read in the book of Jeremiah that the time was nearly done. The 70 years was nearly over. One of the things that I wrote down, I want you to see this. Hold your place here and let's go to the book of Second Chronicles. And we're going to go to uh, chapter 36. And I want you to go down to verse 22. This is the concluding verses of Second Chronicles. This is after uh, Zedekiah, or uh, let, me, let me get it right, uh, Jehoiakim and several of the other kings had already been taken. Zedekiah was one of those that was also taken back. But look what it says. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit in Cyrus, the king of Persia. Then he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me and hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now this is Cyrus. This is the king of Persia. And he makes that statement. Do you realize, and I want you to, if you will now, let's go over to, um, I want to go to, uh, let's go to Ezra chapter 1 and verse 1. And look what it says. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Do you realize the book of Ezra is a continuation of what we, wrote, what we just read in Chronicles? Here is the call for all of the people to return to the land. Notice again. He stirred up the spirit in Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth and hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. I want you to get this. If there's one thing that I can see in Daniel's prayer, Lord, prepare us to go back to Jerusalem. Now, here's what's interesting. Now, all the Jews returned. All of the Jews that were taken out of Judah, not all of them returned. Now, all of those that were taken in the, into uh, the land where uh, Ahasuerus was, you know, of the Israelites, not all of them returned. But do you realize that God placed it upon the heart of Ezra and certain ones of them to return back to Judah and begin the building of the temple? First and foremost, build the temple.
Second, build the walls. And what's interesting, it would take 49 years. We're going to see that next week, Lord's willing. 49 years for them to complete the rebuilding of Jerusalem. All right, so we've covered a lot of material today. I hope it's been a blessing and a help to each and every one. Let's be dismissed. Father, again, thank you for your goodness and your grace to us. Now lead us and bless. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed.